Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. I'm Imad Akhtar. China's real estate crisis enters a critical phase today with a Hong Kong court expected to hand down a decision on the liquidation of China Evergrande Group, once the country's largest developer. The slump in China's property industry is casting a long shadow over its economy and society, even as economists forecast a 3% climb in home prices, that after a slew of policies introduced by the government. This comes just after China saw its first ever quarterly deficit in foreign direct investments in the July to September period and an unexpected contraction in manufacturing. For more insights on where the world's second largest economy is headed, we're joined by William Ma, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Grow Investment Group. William, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Thank you. (laughs) Good to have you on, William. Now, we've seen the Chinese government introduce a series of supportive measures over the past months. Are there any signs you think that the property sector's downward spiral is abating? And do we know if there's a tipping point before the bubble bursts? Well, normally, uh, uh, asset, you know, restructuring cycle would cost, you know, four to six years. I think we are in the fourth years already since the three red line being introduced. I believe the tipping point, if you like, would be the announcement, for example, potentially, uh, you know, bankruptcy of the largest developer, Hangdai. And I believe we are in the final phase, if you like. Uh, what very critical happened in the last month is um, the Chinese government uh, are creating the so-called white list, you know, for the uh, Chinese bank in order to provide, you know, loan and credit to them again. Mm. I think that will help alleviate kind of like the liquidity situation. And second important point to uh, monitor is the new kind of lighthouses building. Uh, upstream leading indicator would be the glass price and also uh, the steel. I think the glass is the last you know, materials you want to put in to the building you know, when the uh, building finished. We're seeing uh, uplift of glass price. So that means you know, new uh, kind of lighthousing is building again. Uh, having said that, I believe the cycle will need another year or two to reach the final end. Yeah, you mentioned the whitelist. Authorities have even proposed a list of 50 real estate developers eligible for bank support while weighing a plan that would allow some banks to offer them unsecured loans for the first time. Lenders are now weighing lowering growth targets and cutting jobs among possible options. So this is having a cascading effect on the banks as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's not new news. You know, bank mm. in general, a real estate sector uh, is around 20 to 25% of their loan portfolio. And more importantly, historically, actually, part of the uh, project was being financed by the uh, pseudo guaranteed product, you know, in the wealth management system. And some of them have started to default as well. So I think the impact would be both to the investor who bought those financial products uh, as well as to the bank. But having said that, I think it's all public information. The industry has been trying to resolve in the last two, three years. And the actual impact would be uh, quite fractional, you know, depends on investors' portfolio. Sure. Now, these risks you speak of in the real estate industry, they've started spreading from private firms to companies with mixed ownership. And that might even reach state-owned builders if the weak market conditions persist. How is that affecting the risk appetite of investors? Yeah, investor has been, to be honest, I've been in the industry for 20 years. I think um, the domestic investor as well as global investors towards China is in the lowest point, you know, hence reflected in the valuation by any matrix. You know, uh, some company, even consumer company, we are talking about price to cash flow, about trading about a quarter 
of what the U.S. is trading. Um, interesting enough, you know, we are seeing a consumption downgrade, you know, by the people. I was told this weekend there is about 110 marathon, you know, uh, going on at the same time in China. Uh, while, you know, historically people don't run that much. So I think there is a, a shift of consumption pattern. And lastly, if you look at, you know, the uh, share price and revenue of PDD Pindodo, actually they outbid the Alibaba as well. So China is a big country. Um, I think what happened in the real estate market really changed and the COVID changed the consumption pattern of the company and uh, uh, and consumer. So I think um, the, the smarter one is trying to follow the change of consumption pattern and they're, they're still making good money. All right, let's go beyond the domestic impact here and look at the international sphere. Are there fears of a broader financial crisis? And if so, are they still weighing on consumer confidence as well as economic growth? Yeah, I think the worst in terms of consumer confidence or financial crisis is gone given the leverage in China um, is uh, relatively low, you know, compared to the world, US and Japan, etc. Um, the worry, if you like, happened in early on this year on the local government bond, you know, um, I think that was the real kind of like concern for a lot of people. If the local government bond defaulted or if they kind of like unable to pay the interest. But I think the government trying to come up with support on that. And if you see the local government bond price, actually it rally, you know, during the summer. So I would say the systematic risk is gone, but um, China is going to suffer a kind of like earnings uh, deterioration and a slower growth. So it would not be beta market from our perspective. It would be more like an alpha market. And um, if there is any insolvency, it would be quite company specific uh, rather than the whole sector specific. Now, the Chinese Communist Party has actually acknowledged that a big shift is happening when it comes to the demand supply relationship. William, in your opinion, is de-risking by the West starting to hurt China's prospects? Yeah, I think it has been hurting, you know, during the COVID in the, in the last few years. And in particular, the strategic kind of light, uh, for example, chips or some of the critical component is hurting certain part of the industry. There's no doubt. And having said that, I think um, there are some new technology like Huawei, you know, making the 5G phone and crack through. And then um, I think the next uh, target or trend would be the electric vehicle, which is growing, you know, very quickly. You know, in China, if you walk on the street, when I talk to my Google friends, when they visit said China, I asked, you know, what is your first, you know, changes, observation since you are here before COVID? Oh, a lot of electric vehicles and they look nice. So I think electric vehicle is something that could be potentially targeted. And we are seeing some global firms reduce their investment in China, in particular in the consumption side, less opening shops because they worry about consumption downgrades and, you know, less growth in the industry. But on the other hand, for some high-end manufacturing or, you know, the electric vehicle or green energy related sector, we are seeing some global investor or global company trying to come in because um, this sector do have a competitive advantage compared to other sectors uh, in China. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because some new data has just come in that shows foreign firms are not just declining to reinvest their earnings, but also selling its existing investments and repatriating some of their funds. I guess you're observing the same as well. We're seeing similar data point and it would be kind of like country and, and sector specific. To be honest, if you look at the growth, right, in the US, earnings growth or, you know, kind of like demand growth compared to China is a very high, you know, this year and potentially next year as well uh, if uh, we count on the strong you know economic data point so some global companies they are trying to 
a shift or rebalance and refocus on their home country, you know, trying to spend more capex, you know, domestically in the States or in Europe. But we are seeing some firms actually shifting the capex into um, ASEAN, for example, in uh, uh, Indonesia, for example, in India, Brazil alike. So uh, what they do is they are doing a rebalance of their global resources, taking out from China to those areas. And for example, Foxconn announced they're building a big uh, factory in India again. So I think that is part of the data point that, that you are seeing. All right. And what are these changes impact on the UN? Obviously, it's weakened. Is it going to further weaken the UN moving forward? Uh, the consensus is uh, yen would be, you know, um, as strong as about 7.1, you know, um, next year. And if it go weakened, the market don't believe it will go weak at the peak, you know, which is like 7.4 before. I think in the media term, it would be, you know, kind of like range bounding between this. And there is no incentive for a Chinese government to go, you know, weaken, you know, uh, yen, despite that uh, it would help export. Because I think um, if we back to the original thesis and idea for the Chinese government in the longer term for renminbi internationalization, is one is the key and Second is interest rate liberalization. Mm. So these two high priority makes the uh, monetary policy, you know, in China trying to be stay intact. Uh, if the Chinese government want to go through the direction of uh, weakening yuan as well as uh, using leverage, they, they should have done so, you know, only, only on this year. But I think um, the government should trying to choose the harder way, if you like. Hence, you see the economic return as well as the data this year has been quite struggling, in particular in the summertime and in Q3. Otherwise, you know, if they use the big gun, if you like, I think um, it would be recover faster. So my view is this yen is, uh, yuan is not going to uh, weakening further. But having said that, uh, interest rate could go further down, which makes maybe some of the global investors uh, hesitant in investing because um, the uh, interest rate differentiation is quite high. You know, if you stay in the U.S., you got, you know, 4 or 5%, while in renminbi terms, risk rate is 2 to 3%. All right. So how would you assess the growth potential for China next year in 2024 then? Um, I'm, I'm very excited. You know, um, I think the economy is um, going through stabilization. You know, back to the original question, the real estate sales, you know, some other, you know, developer or some people expecting the whole year this year is down 10 to 15 percent. Um, next year is down five. So as you can see, it's uh, towards the end, you know, in the new sales figure. And then um, I think my view is um, as an investor, we can be sector specific, more alpha like. Mm. Um, and there are more policy, the government is coming in, and then um, we can pick up certain sectors, like, you know, electric vehicle, I mentioned, high-end manufacturing, those are good. But overall, you know, if you are buying the beta market, it could be a volatile year next year, because uh, I was told, you know, next year we got half of the world's population is under, you know, election, which tends to quite volatile uh, in, in terms of global market space, and that will be impact the China market as well. But from an investor or cycle perspective, now it's getting attractive. Um, I think people need to be a little bit uh, patient. All right. Patience being the operative word for 2024. William Ma, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this morning. Thank you. All right. We've been in conversation with William Ma. He's the chief investment officer at Grow Investment Group about the Chinese real estate sector, which has taken a battering in recent times and given rise to widespread pessimism on China's economic growth. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. 
That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Audio at the App Store and Google Play.